Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Hello, my name's Katie. If you don't know me, we'll be best friends, I'm sure of it. But um, I'm one of the pastors at The Journey and um, up in the northeast, and they all send their hugest loves and big sloppy kisses to you all. So in a very non-threatening, appropriate touch kind of a way. Incredible. Um, so it's my privilege to be here. Now listen, um, Lisa, you're not going far, are you? Brilliant. Um, how good is Lisa. I've never met her, but I get a good feeling about her. I can't see literally anything. This is, tell me you're 40 without telling me you're 40. Wait for it. And there it is. <laughs> Amazing. Thanks, babe. So, while we were um, just praying and worshipping just now, there's a scripture. And I believe it's for encounter for this next season. Now, I'm aware that in the room there might be some people and you're not sure what you believe about God. You've got big questions. Maybe your story's been a bit of a funky one. Maybe you've been hurt by Christians or the church or you've got a tricky season that you're navigating. And we just want to say, you know, that you just come as you are. We're just so glad that you're here and there's room for your questions and there's God's big enough to handle whatever it is your season has at the minute. So whatever it is, however you've come into the room today, here's what I believe that God in heaven is speaking to this church. And it's from Zephaniah, and he's one of the Old Testament prophets, a minor prophet, but packs a punch nonetheless. Zephaniah 3 verse 17, it says this. It says, the Lord your God is with you. He's with you. And he is mighty to save. Some versions say he is a mighty warrior who saves you. So the Lord your God is with you and he is mighty to save. It says he will comfort you and he will sing songs of love over you and he will rejoice over you with singing. He will quiet you with his love. And I just get this sense um, that for encounter moving forward, that there's going to be a gentling that comes. Not that you're going to be any less potent, not that you're going to be any less determined or bold, but that there's going to come a gentling. Like you've got to, like God's going to provide an udi, but one that makes everyone look hot. <laughs> no avocados on it. No Harry Potter paraphernalia on it. It's going to be like, but it's going to be just the comforting blanket of his presence. The purpose of which is to drive you deeper into sufficiency in him. Because we can get very good in the church at being busy and making ourselves feel like we're doing things for the kingdom of God. But I sometimes think that we need to prune in order to multiply. And so I wonder if we're stepping into a season. I, I find it fascinating that you were just talking about Futures Fund, Mikey, because um, this is about the future and posturing yourselves as a church towards the future that God has for you. So suffice to say this, I believe that the Lord is so pleased with you, that his delight is here, that his Holy Spirit is here generously among you, and that there's going to come a quieting and a comfort and a sense of peace and relax and delight and great joy that's going to fuel you into this next season over these next two years. And from that place, there's no striving. And from that place, there is great acceptance 
Because you just as you are and you're wrapped up just as you are. I was holding a little newborn baby today at church. I'm a little baby thief. And I was just, and somebody just said to me, imagine if you could just walk around just being held like this. I'm like, it would be a vibe. That's what I believe God's wanting to do with Encounter Church. Just pick you up and hold you and walk you around and just remind you of all the true things that he believes about you. Amen? Amen. Right, so plumb the depths of that scripture. This is wild. Incredible. I never preached from my laptop. I feel a bit naughty. Hey, what's up? All right, you guys, we're doing the Silver Bullet series. No? Red ribbon, pink ribbon. No, that's breast cancer. Golden ribbon, the golden thread. And there it is. Which always reminds me of that song, tie a yellow ribbon round the old oak tree. Anyone know that? Come on, millennials, sing it with me now. The golden thread. Jesus is the golden thread. Do you get it? Yes? Jesus is the golden thread. Unbelievable. Right. So we're talking about Christ-type figures or preformed Jesus figures because it helps us because we have to understand all of Scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ and the finished work of the cross, inspired by the power of the Holy Spirit, but edified by the whole story of God. Amen. And so we need to understand what we can learn about the kingdom of heaven and the character of God and what that means for us today based on all of Scripture. So we're finding the gold and the literal golden thread in this incredible series. Now, King David, if you are not a Christian in the room, King David is V famous, VV famous, famous plus plus, has many followers, blue tick that he didn't have to pay $8 a month for. I feel like things are going great for Elon, yes? Maybe with all his zero billions of dollars he's going to have in the next few weeks, he can invest in the Elon Musk Futures Fund. Don't do that. Don't spend $8 on Twitter. Give it to Encounter. It's what... (laughs) Come on, yes. Jesus' name. Incredible. So, now, if you don't know, or let's go this way. If you do know, let's go a bit Sunday school here. King David was famous. He was known as the man after what? Sorry, say it again. King David was known as the man after God's own heart. And you're like, oh my gosh, preformed Jesus, Christ type. What was Jesus, the son of God? Jesus was also a man after God's own heart. David killed a guy. And so you kind of go, interesting, interesting parallel there. And Jesus is like, oh, I'm not with him. It's not my fault. He was a lot older than me. I was become, I came later. Like, you know, David didn't just kill the guy. He committed adultery with the guy's wife, freaked out because he got her pregnant and then orchestrated to have him murdered. So I feel like he really doubled down on that particular moral degradation and just really, you know, and Jesus is there going, yes, David, Christ type figure representing me beautifully right now yes (laughs) no but we don't know David for those reasons do we we know him as the man after God's own heart so what can we learn from David's stunning legacy the man who was broken a man who made so many mistakes a man who was sinful and yet we don't remember his sin we remember the legacy he left of worship We don't remember his brokenness. We remember that he was defined by this stunning relationship with a holy God. Unbelievable. So what does that teach us? Now, fun facts, I did some research for you guys because that's why they pay me the big bucks. 
David was a king in his own right. What? And Jesus was the king of kings. Who well, is the king of kings? Yes? Uh, David started out, his first job was not at Coles. It was as what? A shepherd. David was a shepherd and Jesus is the good shepherd. Guys, are you catching this? It's pink ribbon, silver bullet. Uh, David was born in Bethlehem. What? Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Unbelievable. Guys, be more excited about this stuff. Um, When Absalom, a not very nice person, rebelled against David, David legged it up to a place called the Mount of Olives where he wept and prayed and cried out to God. When Jesus was about to be betrayed to his own death, what did he do? He legged it to the Mount of Olives and he was crying and praying. So, you know, David was described in 1 Samuel 16, 18 as a mighty man of valor and as a warrior. A prophecy about Jesus in Isaiah 9 verse 6 describes the coming Messiah as a mighty man of valor and a warrior. King David was the anointed of God. Jesus is the anointed Messiah of God. So we can start to see all these parallels. Now, Jesus came as a direct descendant of the line of David. Now, through the New Testament, you will see Jesus referred to as the son of David. Many, many times because they understood that the Messiah was going to come from the line of David. And so, so the son of Jesse, the son of this, and the blah, 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 and the blah, 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 all the bits that you skip over in the Audible Bible. It's like, yeah, great, move it along, NIV or CEB. We're a CEB church here, aren't we? CSB, whatever. You're not better than us encounter. <laughs> anyway, so we can see that there are a lot of parallels between David. And Jesus, and Jesus was a direct descendant of David, which is fascinating. But I think the thing that I felt to impress upon you guys today was about what we can understand about David's legacy in terms of the fact that David was just a man. He was just a man, and he was a sinful, broken man who made some crackerjack mistakes. If you ever want to feel better about your life, open up the Bible and go, well, at least I didn't do that. Do you know what I mean? Like the disciples are there so you can go, oh, it's not that bad. You know what I mean? Like all will be well. There's always somebody worse than you out there. And that's what this is all about. Amen. (laughs) If I've learned one thing as a pastor, it's making sure there's someone a little bit more sinful than you within arm's reach you can point at and go, see, see, sanctification is a process. I'm just further along that process than you. You'll get there. Keep going, Skippy. It's great. Guys, no one's writing notes right now. Offensive. (laughs) Now, you have to excuse me, guys. I was supposed to be here last week, but I had COVID for the second time. And I'm still kind of feeling a bit flat and flustered. So if I'm sweaty and breathless, it's the anointing of God and definitely not my failing immune system. So I've tested negative. Everyone with babies is looking horrified right now. You're fine. It's all good. I was cuddling a little newborn today with a rat test in my nose, like going, see, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's like when we were in drought in Adelaide all those years ago and everyone who had lush green lawns would put these signs there going, bore water in use. It's like... (laughs) Amazing. All right, let's teach the Bible. John MacArthur, fantastic American theologian, old man now, but has an incredible legacy of teaching throughout America. He has this great line about worship that I want to open with today. It says this. It says, worship is all that we are, 
right? It's the Romans 12, 1 to 2 worship. Bring your everyday life. You're going around, walking, sitting down, sleeping, lying about, going to work life. Bring it all before God as an act of worship, right? And so he says, worship is all that we are reacting rightly to all that God is. It's all that we are reacting appropriately appropriately responding accurately, seeing things clearly enough that we can respond in the light of all that God is. So worship is all of what we are, not the edited bits of what we are, responding appropriately to all that God is. That's what worship is. And so that can be translated across any part of your life, any part of existence, creation, contribution, creativity, whatever it happens to be. All of it, when done unto the Lord, becomes worship. Amen? So worship literally defined worth-ship, meaning uh, how, the level to which we ascribe worth to something or someone. And so when we come to worship, when we come to our understanding of what it is to have all of ourselves responding to all of God, well, we can learn a lot from King David, amen? So why don't we just pray and just invite the inspiration of Holy Spirit to us right now. Is that okay? In this moment, you don't need me. You just need to arrest your attention. Maybe take a couple of deep breaths in and out. Just think on Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord your God is with you. He loves you. He's mighty to save. He will comfort you with his love. He will quiet you with singing. Holy Spirit, come. Arrest our attention. Arrest our narrative. We just invite you to take these next few precious moments together and would you do something extraordinary? Would you do something supernatural? Will you reveal truth to us? Will you reveal Jesus to us and position us for your praise and for your glory? And everyone said, amen. Amen. All right. One of my favorite Psalms in the whole world is Psalm 51. You guys, we're going to read some scripture. And you know what? It's It's going to be more than two verses. Are we okay? Hold hands with the person next to you. Say, we're going to get through this. All right, I think it's going to be on the screen for you. But if not, I will be your storyteller for today. Psalm 51, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after he knocked up someone else's wife and then killed her husband to cover up his crime. And Nathan went, hey, we're not about that in this house. And David's like, oh, whoops. (laughs) Why didn't someone tell me that sooner? Like... Really? It's just like, really, David? But she was so hot. And she's like, really, David? Nathan's like, sort it out, mate. Get yourself right with God. And David, God bless him. Can we just take a minute and stop there and just understand the humility it would have taken the king of Israel and the courage it would have taken the prophet Nathan to come to him and confront him in his sin. And David didn't react. He didn't get defensive. He didn't deny. He got on his knees before God in heaven and made it right. Unbelievable leadership learning there. Anyway, that was a sidebar. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Please blot out my transgressions. Just a fancy word for sin. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb, and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. So cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. See what sin does when it's not addressed in our lives. It stops us from hearing the things that God has for us. And he says here in the face of his sin, let me hear joy and gladness again. Let me hear it. I need to hear it again, God. Let these bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquity. Now listen. Verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Other translations say, renew a right spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me, but restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Because then, now listen, so after God has restored him a willing spirit, after God has cleansed him from his sin, after God has offered his forgiveness and there's been restoration and he remains in the presence of Holy Spirit and he's been granted a willing, small s, spirit, then he's positioned to what? Then I will teach transgressors, sinners, your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. That's what happens when we posture ourselves like King David. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you are my saviour. My tongue will sing of your righteousness, so open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings, but my sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What a song of worship. What a humble prayer. What a beautifully vulnerable place that David allows himself to be in before a holy God. He was just a man, but he was chosen by God. And he was known as a man after God's own heart. In one of the Psalms, I think it's Psalm 17, David says to God, please keep me as the apple of your eye. That's how close they were. That's the extent of their union. It was incredible. He was a sinner, but he left a legacy of worship as the man after God's own heart. So there's a couple of things I just want to leave with you today that I think are going to help us as we posture ourselves and we imitate people who reflect the person of Jesus. Yes, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Well, let's imitate King David because he didn't even know he was imitating Christ, aside from the whole Bathsheba situation. Unfortunate. Anyway, we got there. Now listen, if you're taking notes, write this down. David's worship was built on grace and he knew it. David's worship, his ability to worship, his ability to engage with God was based on his understanding of the grace of God toward him. The grace of God towards him. In other words, when David was just a kid out tending the shepherds and God spoke to Samuel and said, go to Jesse's sons and I will anoint a king from among them. He trots out all the tall, handsome, you know, gym membership ones. And then Samuel's like, no, it not it, not it, not it. Nice looking, but not it. No, did it a bizarre. Mm-mm. And he goes, there's got to be someone else. And his own dad's like, oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, no, uh, Jesse's out in the fields. We just thought, really? Okay. And so they go and, get Je- uh, go and get David and they're like this. David had done nothing. He'd done nothing. He was the youngest forgotten son. He had done nothing to distinguish himself. And yet God chose him. 
He chose him. He had done nothing to qualify himself. He hadn't earned it. He hadn't proved himself. He hadn't beaten someone. He was seen by God, loved by God, appointed by God and chosen by God. And that's where it started. It was nothing to do with what David had done. He'd done nothing of note. And so God, by His Holy Spirit and through the prophet Samuel, poured out His anointing on David to become king of Israel long before He killed Goliath long before he subdued nations, long before he wrote some of the most stunning offerings of worship and praise and prayer that have ever been recorded in history, long before he designed the temple that God would be dwelling in. It's unbelievable. All of this was given to David before, again, his worship was out of an understanding of the grace of God poured out to him. The grace of God poured out to him because ultimately God's favour on David's life was not based on his actions, but on God's determination to love David and to choose him and to see him and to be with him no matter what. And in church, we go, oh my gosh, that's so amazing, Pastor. Keep that coming. So tweetable. But in reality... I think one of the things that I see most commonly, particularly among younger Christians who are still forming, is that they think God is angry with them. And if I'm being really honest, a lot of the time I think God is angry with me. You know, oh, Katie, not again, not again. Mike travelled with me for two weeks in London and apparently he reflected to my husband that I was not an easy travel buddy, which I take exception to. He is holding my Yeti cup. Hold it high, Mike, for everyone to see. Across hemispheres we travel in Mike's careful hand, as the psalmist wrote. Suffice to say that we need to understand who God is. What is he like? What is his character? What is his nature? Because if we don't have an accurate understanding of that, well, then we cannot appropriately respond to all that he is. Amen? Which means that we will be stunted in our worship because it will be based on incomplete information or skewed information or warped information or wrong information. And so we have to understand that God's love for us is not predicated on anything we have done, but because he has created us and chosen us and appointed us, knit us together in our mother's womb, given us a hope and a future. Jesus got up in Luke chapter 4 and he said, the spirit of God is upon me because, and then listed a whole bunch of stuff, but the spirit of God was with him before he'd done any of it. Amen? The Spirit of God was with David before he killed Goliath, before he became the king, before anyone put a crown on his head. The Spirit of God was with him because the grace of God was extended towards him. And David understood that, which is why we call him the man after God's own heart. Because he had an understanding of grace, a revelation of grace. Because if it wasn't that way, and if God was angry, and if God kept short along accounts, and if God was the God that I think a lot of us secretly believe in, all of that favour, all of that future, all of that intimacy, all of that compassion, all of that provision for David's life would have been lost when David slept with Bathsheba. It would have been gone. David's, God's like, well, I, you had your chance and you blew it. You know? And then when, like, there was this time where David was, like, super successful, right? Like, just, you know, everything was just coming up, David. Just all things 
were well. And he has a huge army and everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're amazing, la la la. Even your servants call you blessed. You know, Babylon lady was coming to visit, blah la la. It was a whole thing. And then David decides he's going to flex on that. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to count my toys. I'm going to count my toys. And what he means is he's going to count his army. He's like, I'm going to count my men. I'm going to count how many swords and spears I have to kill other people with because I am David and I'm doing it. And yeah. And God's like, I really don't want you to do that. And David's like, ah, oh, you're no fun. I'm going to count my army. Balula, Shapula. I'm going to look at them all. Look at them all ready to kill. You know, like, this is David. And God's like, no, I don't want you to do that. I want you to trust me. And David's like, or we could definitely count them. <laughs> and he's like, you invented maths, God. You should be down for this. He's like, order of the universe. Look at this ledger, spreadsheets, Excel, unbelievable. Name, date, height, fighting weight, preferred skill. You know, how many scalps? I don't know. Like, unbelievable. And God's like... I don't want you to do it. And David's like, why are you being weird about this? And God's like, I'm being weird about this. Like, don't count them. So do you know what David did? He he counted them. (laughs) But if God's love, favor, provision, anointing, companionship was dependent upon David's actions or inactions, then it would have been a very short relationship. Yes? Because ultimately, David and God's relationship can be best understood through a lens of grace. Ultimately, the relationship that Jesus Christ has with you and me can be best understood through a lens of grace. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. And you can see this beautifully playing out when David is caught in adultery. And we come back to this beautiful Psalm 51. It'll be up on the screen for you again. And David is confronted with his mortality, with his humanity, with his sexuality, with his um, indulgence, with his flesh, with all of the things that are so familiar to all of us. And the opening line of Psalm 51 is, Have mercy on me, O God, according to what? How sorry I am? How much I promise I'll never look at that site again how much I'm going to do better for you, I swear it, God. No, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. So in other words, David is appealing to God based on who God is, not on what David has done. So he throws himself on the reality of who God has promised to be to him and has faithfully revealed himself to be to David. Amen. And then he goes on, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Because you are merciful, God, wipe this away for me because I can't make it right. I can't fix it. There are some things that we cannot, with the best will in the world, make right again. Amen? And so he appeals not to himself, not to his own effort, not to his own intention, but to the very nature and character of God. And says, God, remind yourself of your love for me. Remind yourself of your mercy for me. And then help me in this. Beautiful. Because remember... David didn't earn it to begin with, and so he could never earn it now. And so he's standing there just saying, well, I mean, you kind of knew who you were picking. Will you accept this rose? You're like, okay. Like, 
He was chosen by God because of God's abundant love for him, not because of David's abundant love for God. Amen. And so throughout his life, you see it time and time again. David appealing to the nature and to the very character, to the very friendship, the very manifest presence of God in his life to steer him through. Psalm 16, one of my favorite psalms, it's called a mictum of David, which means a golden. It's actually golden. It means golden, which means it's extra special, delicious, delightful, glittery, incredible. I wanted to wear a sequin shirt tonight, but I looked ridiculous, so I didn't. But if I had, I would have been like, it's a golden mictum of David. And it says here, it says... It says in Psalm 16, O Lord, you are my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. He says, the boundary lines you have set for me have fallen in pleasant places. In other words, he's reminding himself of the provision of God. He's not pushing at what he wants or what he sees. He's reminding himself. He goes on to say, because you are at my right hand, O God, I will not be shaken. Because you're right there, God, I will not be shaken. Because you are there in your abundant love, oh God, I won't be shaken. Because he understands that he only, the only hope he has for survival, for kingship, for wisdom, for glory, for victory, rests in the abundance of God's love and grace and mercy flowing towards him. And not just that church, but his ability to receive it in humility. His ability to receive it even when things are going well, even when things are going poorly. David was dependent on God's character and not his own. Amen? Come on now. Number two, David offered worship in spirit and truth. Let's fast forward to the New Testament for a little minute. Jesus is out walking with his disciples and they were clearly annoying him because he sent all of them to the shops to buy groceries. How many men does it take to do a grocery shop? Twelve. And you know it's true because it was God who sent them. Incredible. I feel attacked. This is not a safe space for me now. You'll be fine. Anyway, so Jesus is like, oh, can you just go and buy some chips or something? Just anything. Just be away from me now. And it's the middle of the day. He sits down next to a well. And a Samaritan woman came. And just quick history, Samaritans and Jews, not friends, not simpatico. Sharks and the bloods, bloods and the crypts, whatever gang metaphor helps you. So no good. They disagreed over worship. They disagreed over a bunch of stuff. La, la, la. And this Samaritan woman comes and she talks to Jesus and Jesus prophesies over her life. And she's like, whoa, you know so much stuff. He's like, boy, do I. And she's like, why is that? He goes, I'm the Messiah. Unbelievable times. And she, he says to her in this conversation in John chapter 4, a time is coming and is now come where the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For this is what the Father seeks. In other words, God is seeking not worship, but true worship, worshipers. A time is coming and is now here where the Father will seek people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. In other words, God is spirit. What's the nature of God? He is spirit. And so we must worship from our spirit, connecting to the part of God that is in us. Amazing? So we have to attend to that deep, deep place. And she's just like, wow, that's crazy because I had all these ideas about what worship should be and what it should look like. And he's like, forget all that. Forget the Jewish thing. Forget the Samaritan thing. Listen to me. The time is coming and it's now here where the Father is searching for true worshipers who will worship in spirit and in truth. 
So these are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, therefore we must worship in spirit. And what does David say? He says, created me a pure heart, God, from verse 10, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now note here it's a small s spirit, so he's not talking about Holy Spirit. He's talking about his own spirit. So he says, renew a right spirit within me. Why? Because he's understood that truthful worship comes from the Spirit. What's interesting about the Spirit is that it's the only place that we can't fake before God. I mean, I can fake it. I can dance a jig and do whatever and I don't just, I've got no words. But you know I can fake it until I make it. It's how I got where I am today. Praise be. But, but the reality is, is that your spirit is seen by God alone. And so your worship must come from there. And so when David is confronted by the reality of his brokenness and his sinfulness and his shame, his prayer is renew a steadfast spirit within me, renew a right spirit within me. And then he goes on to say, please don't cast me from your presence, God, or take capital H, holy, capital S, spirit. So proper noun or take Holy Spirit from me. Don't take Holy Spirit from me. I need a right spirit within myself, but I need your Holy Spirit's presence if I'm going to get this done, if I'm going to survive, if I'm going to offer you anything that's of value. Please don't take your presence from me. Truthful worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And in Psalm 51, David is laying bare the truth of his reality, not just before God, but he wrote a song about it and published it, hence me preaching from it today. Royalties would be insane if he was on Apple Music. However, he is not. I think he did all right for himself in that department, generally speaking, but you get it, right? Renew a right spirit within me and don't take your Holy Spirit, your presence from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And catch this. should be on the screen for you. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. It's not just a steadfast spirit or a right spirit. It's don't take your Holy Spirit. And also, please give me a willing spirit so that I can keep doing this. In other words, I get how fickle I can be. In other words, I will sleep with another man's wife and then murder him to cover it up because that's what my spirit's going to lead me towards. So grant me a willing spirit, God, so that I can lay every part of my life before you and keep choosing to do that even when I don't want to. David offered a broken spirit. He offered a contrite heart. He postured himself in spirit and in truth. He wasn't hiding his sin. He wasn't making excuses. He was just crying out to the parts of God that he knew would sustain him in his everyday reality. Verse 15, open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You don't delight in sacrifice or I'd bring it. You don't take pleasure in burnt offerings, not because those things weren't a valuable part of their cultural worship, but because, guys, are you ready for this? This is crazy. But because that was a way of ticking Jewish boxes. That was a way of ticking a religious checklist of how God will be pleased. You make this offering on this day and you bring the pigeon here and then you do the lamb thing here and you can do the beef thing here and it's a whole situation with the blonde and everyone gets to eat meat and it's amazing. But he's saying you don't want just that. Because if you wanted just that, I could do it. 
I could buy you a cattle on a thousand hills because I'm King David. But he says, my sacrifice, oh God, is a broken spirit. Now, you don't sacrifice something easily, do you? If it's costly, then it's a sacrifice. If it's cheap, it's not a sacrifice. But he says, my sacrifice is my broken spirit. In other words, he says, my humility is the sacrifice I'm making before you and before my nation. The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Philippians 2. But Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider his equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead, being found in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient, even unto death. My sacrifice, O God, the costly thing that I'm going to lay before you is my broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart because, God, you will not despise that. It's the only thing we can't fake. True worshippers will worship in spirit and truth and David in this psalm understands this reality. He understands this reality, the fact that we have to deal honestly and openly with God if we are to offer something of value. Dearest Lisa, if you will come and explain to us how we should feel with your (laughs) emotional keyboard situations. (laughs) It's funny, like sometimes I meet people when they're not music people and I'm like, oh, I'm like, I just, I kind of want to like poke them and see if they realize you breathe, you bleed red, like what is wrong? Because I, I, it's how I emote, it's through music, right? And most people will experience it on some level. Otherwise, Beyonce doesn't have a career, you know what I'm saying? <clears throat> you won't break my soul. But sometimes there's something about music that unlocks the human condition, amen? And that's why song is so unique in the Christian church Um, and why it's so powerful because this, what we do here and when we're singing together out of a collective revelation, singing the truth of God, the story of God, it's not a common thing that happens. So when you have like 80, 100 people in a room who have determined to humble themselves and sing out of their shared revelation about the truth of who God is in a way that is creative and otherly. In other words, you're not making sandwiches for, you know, kindy today. You are singing to a holy and timeless God. Isn't that unbelievable? And that's why it's so special. And God knows this. You ever thought about the fact that God just likes music? It's like, oh, we don't need to worship. Worship is my whole life. It's like, yeah, amazing. Also, God really vibes music. So let's give him what he loves. Amen? Like he invented it. Also maths, but we'll get to that. I will let it go. (laughs) Here's the thing. We're going to spend some time in worship, and I just want to give you a minute to... Let that blanket of God's love and comfort just sit over you and to settle your spirit. Feel like there's some frenetic hearts here. You want to do the right thing. You want to do more. You want to impact the world for Jesus. I'm with you. I love it. You've got Compassion Sunday, Future's Fun. You've got Speed Dating, uh, General Acquaintancing. What was it called? Whatever it was. Apparently somebody got together out of it, so that's unbelievable. (laughs) I think they had met before, but let's say that it was the clincher. 
you know, you've got kids' church, you've got women's ministry, you've got albums, you've got this, you've got that, you've got a new building, you've got kidsmen, you've got all these things that are happening. And all of that is wonderful and glorious. But I think God just wants to bring the comfort, the blanket, the heaviness, like a weighted blanket of his love upon you. And just allow yourself to be ministered to. Allow yourself this gift, this moment of just sitting and just letting God just wash over you with all that he is, in spite of all that we are. Amen? Because here's the thing. I touched on it earlier, but one of the most phenomenal things that I see in the life of King David was that he was not defined by his sin, and his sins were many, and they were a lot. They were like cold-blooded He wasn't defined by his sin, but he was defined by his worship. Now, here's the thing. David wasn't spared the consequences of his actions. It's very clear. So the baby that was born to Bathsheba died seven days after it was born. God visited a number of consequences on David. He said, because you've chosen this, I now can't trust you to build my temple. You won't see it built in your lifetime. And there was a number of other things that happened. And David had to cop that. And that's why in Psalm 51, he says, you know, restore these bones that you have crushed because he felt the weight of consequence. His relationship with God wasn't his get out of jail free card is what I'm saying. But he wasn't defined by the consequences of his actions. He was defined by his ability to engage with the grace of God toward him. I'm sorry, I'm going to say that again because if you get nothing else in your entire life from any sermon ever preached for all of time and eternity, hear me now when I say this. David, and when I say David, insert your own name here. Adam, Beth, Lisa, Mike, Callum, Jared, was not defined by the consequences of his actions, but he was defined by his ability, his determination to live in, to walk in the unforced rhythm of grace that can only come out of the abundant, unconditional agape love from a holy God in heaven. That is the game changer. Now listen, David could not have done any good thing in his life without God. And every time David chose to do it without God, things went sideways real quick. Whenever David decided to make things about David, look how many men I got in my big fat army, things went left. It led to civil war. When David saw someone else's wife and didn't keep his lust in check, marriages broke, people were murdered, and a new life, a precious newborn, died. Every time David departed, from the grace of God and the ways of God, things went sideways. But when David made things about God, when David operated out of his revelation of the character and the nature of God, every time David walked in step with God, that is when giants fell. Every time David accepted the grace gift of God's love and provision supernaturally to his life, that's when nations were subdued. That's when peace and prosperity for Israel followed. That's when people from foreign lands flocked to his court and to his castle to admire and marvel at the culture that he had stewarded in the name of God in heaven. This is what happens. David suffered consequences 
However, he wasn't remembered for what he had done wrong, but for who he had engaged with in relationship. And that was with a gracious God. And all of the bad things, all of the brokenness, all of the sin was put to rest when David poured himself out in Psalm 51 and said, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Don't cast me from your presence, God. I would do anything. I would offer the sacrifices, but I know it doesn't mean anything. But what I bring to you, God, is my humility and my brokenness before you, knowing that that is the best posture I can take. David is us, you guys. And the way God related to David is the way Jesus related to humanity when he came to save them. We have been created by God just as David was. We are loved by God. We are chosen by God. We are anointed by God. We are entrusted with responsibility for nations by God. We are led by God. We are corrected by God. We are saved by God. All of it comes before we have earned it or qualified for it. All of it comes out of the extraordinary grace and abundant love of God and the word of all of our church is to make sure that we have space for that, not just to go, yep, great, next, but to revel in it and to take joy and delight in it and to let it heal us and soothe us and quiet us and calm us and posture us in humility time and time again. So why don't you stand to your feet real quick? We're going to sing now. And it's going to be beautiful. And I want to pray for some people. But I think here, what we're doing is um, Futures Fund, Christmas Ministry, just the church being the church, all of it has to sit in the unforced rhythm of grace. Amen? All of it has to come out of the abundance of all that God is. So why don't we just lift our hands? And if that's not your thing... Rock and roll, whatever, do you? It's just an ancient Hebrew custom. It's how the church used to pray with their hands open. And I just want you to say, Holy Spirit, come. Just come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. You're always here. You're among us. You're beautiful. But Lord, I pray you will help us to be aware of your presence. Come, Holy Spirit. If you have a prayer language, why don't you start to pray um, in that language? And if you're not familiar with that, it's just a way that Holy Spirit helps us to pray according to His agenda. Come, Holy Spirit. Hmm. Come, Holy Spirit. What would you speak to us now? We've got a few minutes left, but God can do in minutes what would otherwise take years. Amen. We just need that encounter. We need that encounter. So, Holy Spirit. Upon every heart that is willing, upon every heart that is open, will you come now in your manifest power, in your glory, in your love, in your wisdom, and speak to us. As we worship Holy Spirit, will you make that beautifully heavenly exchange? Come Holy Spirit. As we sing, you lead us to. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you are able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. 
God bless. Have an amazing week.